Good evening, everybody. I'm weighted down in each pocket here, so I feel very heavy. Um, it's good to have everybody here. The message tonight is called, What If Jesus Sails You Right Into the Storm? Now, I heard that Katie gave her first service, and by the way, I must have Katie and Dana do my announcements more often because you get a much bigger crowd than I ever do, so thank you. But apparently Katie uh, was listening to some Bible teaching and found out that a good way to present the storm is everybody in church is either entering a storm, in a storm, or exiting one. Amen? How many storm goers are there in here? Okay? We all have a storm. And so the question becomes, what if Jesus is the one who sails you right into the storm? Very excited about this message this evening. And one reason is because our own youth group is going to assist by doing a drama in this. I am very proud of the youth group of Norwin Alliance Church for a myriad of reasons. And you're going to find out they're a pretty good drama team as well. Okay? So I want to say thank you to them. I want to say thank you to my youth leaders who assist me in everything I do with them. We have Jackie Buten. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Kevin Craycraft. Bria Craycraft. She's up in the sound room. She's my tech person all the time. We got, um, where are they? Oh, Katie and Steve. Okay? Katie and Steve. Smith. I wanted to say Barnhart, but Smith. Okay, so thanks to them too. So let's begin by praying and asking the Lord to really speak to our hearts this evening, okay? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We are so thankful, God, for who you are. We are thankful that you never let us go. Whether we're entering the storm, in the middle of it, or exiting, we know that you are there with us. Now, Father, it's a given that every person in this sanctuary this morning, face, this evening, faces a storm. And so we just want to pray We want to pause and ask you to cleanse us from our sin. Please cleanse us by the blood of Jesus that we might hear what it is that you are saying to us this evening. Please bring the anointing of your Holy Spirit to my mind and heart and to the mind and heart of every person in this room. God, we want to know you better. We want to thrive even in the midst of difficulty. So we ask that you speak to us, say whatever it is that you want to say from your word, and we will be willing to hear. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. What if Jesus sails you right into the storm? I'm going to take this message from Mark chapter 4. And before we go there, I just want to set up a little bit of context and geography for you. The storm happens on the Sea of Galilee. So we have up here a map of Israel in the New Testament times. You'll see the Mediterranean Sea over there to your left, the Dead Sea at the bottom. The Jordan River takes you right up to the Sea of Galilee. You see it right there on the map. That's the sea that we are going to be talking about. Now, this is a modern-day picture of the Sea of Galilee. You can tell it's modern because there seems to be a speedboat going through the middle of it, okay? So this was not Jesus' boat. But this is really neat because giving, you know, a modern picture makes it hit home for you. You realize this is a real place, okay? This is the Sea of Galilee. You can see um, the mountainous. Can we take maybe the lights off that are right on the PowerPoint? might make it easier to see. You can see what I want you to notice is in the foreground and then in the background, the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains. Do you see that? Now that plays an important part in what we're going to talk about this evening. 
Here's some basic facts about the Sea of Galilee. First of all, it's the lowest freshwater lake on the face of the earth. 700 feet below sea level, actually. So this is really down low. It's about 13 miles long by 8 miles wide. This is interesting. If you were to fall out of a boat on the Sea of Galilee and you didn't know how to swim, okay, it goes up to 150 feet deep. Because sometimes when I think Sea of Galilee, I think, ah, little pond. Okay? No, this is, a, this is a big sea. Now, here is what the Sea of Galilee is famous for. Violent and actually life-threatening storms. I want you to know that when you read the Word of God, this isn't made up fairy tales, correct? We're dealing in real geography and real life. And the Sea of Galilee, to this day, produces violent and life-threatening storms. So when we read about the disciples being out on this storm, they did know that their lives were in danger. Now, the reason they become so wild is that the cooler air masses from the mountains that are all around collide with the warm air that's in the lake's basin. Now, I think just about anybody could be a meteorologist these days. But um, you, most of us know that when a, a cold front and a warm front hit, bad things happen. So that's why things get so wild on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, not very long ago, just a few decades ago, in March of 92, there was a storm on the Sea of Galilee that sent 10-foot waves crashing into downtown Tiberias. So when you read the story of Jesus and the disciples, you, you come to realize they weren't just freaking out for nothing, okay? And what I did, I want to show you, here's the Sea of Galilee, closer view. Tiberius is right there on the shoreline. I want to show you a picture of some of the waves that begin coming into Tiberius in 1992, the month before the big storm hit with the 10-foot waves. This is an actual shot from February of 92, right on Tiberius from the Sea of Galilee. So you get a feel for, you begin to understand in modern times that this is real. These storms were big. These disciples were truly and seriously in danger, in trouble, and they were scared. Now, I like to know that because when I face storms in my life, and not just these kind, emotional storms, financial storms, physical storms, relational storms, how many of you like to know that you can identify with the people in the Bible? How many of you have ever felt truly in danger? Yes. So that's where we're at. This is a Rembrandt painting, his rendition of what it might have looked like on the Sea of Galilee that evening when Jesus took them across to the other side. But Rembrandt has nothing on the NAC youth group's rendition of the storm on the Sea of Galilee. So I'd like to welcome for you the drama team. And that, my children, is the parable of the mustard seed. Always remember, it is like the kingdom of heaven. Thank you.
On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. Guys, look at our friends in other boats. (laughs) (laughs) And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who's this guy? (laughs) Even the wind and the waves obey him. I wonder if it was Petey who said, who's this guy? <laughs> I love that. That's my favorite line. Okay. All right. If we could take the lights back down on the PowerPoint. Thank you very much. That's the youth group's rendition of this storm, which is pretty cute and gets a few points across to us very well, and I'll refer back to that as we go along. We're going to take this message from Mark chapter 4, and it begins. Oh, let me see. Clicker. Oh, yeah, you might have to restart it. Thank you, Tim. Okay, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 is where this text begins. So we'll pick it up right there and go straight to God's word. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now, you know what I like to do with God's Word? We like to pick this apart and not take anything for granted. When I read this verse, here's what what jumps out at me. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Jesus all-knowing? He's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. Did Jesus know that a storm was about to whip up on the Sea of Galilee? You think he might have said, hey, guys, let's hold on and go tomorrow morning. But that's not what he said. Here's the first point I want you to notice. And if you underline in your Bibles, a great phrase to underline in the word of God is, he said to them, 
let us go over to the other side. Nobody can come against this biblical principle that it was Jesus' idea to sail into the storm. So here's what you've got to know. Just because you're in the middle of a storm or heading into one does not mean that Jesus does not love you or that he is not with you. Amen? Point number one. He is the one who said, let us go to the other side of the sea. That's good theology, that Jesus is sometimes the one who takes us. Now, we face storms for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes the storms come as a result of the consequences of our own sin. Sometimes storms are produced by other people in our lives. But I'm going to tell you one thing. Jesus is behind it all. And if you're in a storm, he let it happen, ultimately. That's, that's good theology. So he said to them, let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Now, first of all, they took him just as he was. Now, when you saw um, the prettiest Jesus you ever saw up here, okay, Jessica, you remember... Jesus had been teaching parables all day long. As a matter of fact, he had been teaching so big of crowds that he was actually standing in a boat on the shore and the crowds were on the land because there were so many people. He had been teaching all day long. No doubt he was very tired. No doubt he might have been sweaty. You know, we don't know what it was like, but it was a long day. And they put him and they took him in the boat. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit chooses to tell us they took him just as he was. Meaning, he didn't go grab an extra coat for the evening. He didn't take a nap before he got into the boat. He was right in there with them just as he was. I love what Matthew Henry says about this tiny little phrase. Now think about this. Matthew Henry said, they took him even as he was, that is, in the same dress that he was in when he preached, without any cloak to throw over him, which he ought to have had to keep him warm, when he went to sea at night, especially after preaching all day long. Now look what he says. He says, we must not hence infer that we may be careless of our health, but we may learn hence not to be over nice and solicitous about the body. What a mouthful. Now, if you can get through Matthew Henry's English there, here's what he's saying. You know, we live in a culture that exalts the human body and what it looks like and how we're dressed and what kind of shape we're in to the wrong degree. Amen? There are times when you have to do the work of God, you have to sail into the storm, you have to do God's work, and the point is, You're not trying to do bad to your health or to your body, but you aren't caring so much about it that you won't do the work of God. Amen? And you guys have heard me give the personal testimony. Whenever I get up to preach and speak, 95% of the time sends my blood sugar into tailspin that cannot be stopped because of the adrenaline that comes when I preach. And many times I go into preaching knowing my health is going to suffer for hours afterwards. But God and I have a deal. He said, you keep preaching. I said, I will. I'll keep sacrificing. And I encourage the rest of you the same thing. We don't, you don't become careless about your health, but when God calls you to do something, what do you do? You do it, and you trust him with the consequences. I love Charlie, Charles Stanley. Anybody ever know what one of his famous phrases, is, uh, uh, famous phrases is? He says, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Amen? Okay, so they took him just as he was. Now, here's the other point. Other boats were with him. Did you like the other boats? 
I love Steph says, hey, look at, there's our friends, the other boats, okay? The other boats are, you may, you may look over this sentence, but it is so important. And here's what God is saying to you. You ready for this? You are not alone. You feel like you're the only ship out on the sea, but there are many, many, many other believers who are in a storm with you. You got that? How many of you ever had a problem and said, nobody else in the universe has ever gone through this problem? Nobody's ever been here. Not exactly like mine. Nope. Listen, there were other boats with him. It's important to remember that. The apostle Peter said in his epistle, he said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's like he could read our minds, right? How many of you have ever been through a particular storm and you're like, This feels very strange. This feels like this should not be happening. And Peter said, it's happening to others. He went on to say later on, resist the devil firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Amen? So God wants to encourage your heart by saying this. Secondly, there are other people who are experiencing the kind of storms that you are. There are other boats out on the sea, and Jesus is with them too. You are not alone. And we are told to be encouraged and to pray for one another. Now here's what happens. So Jesus says, let's cross to the other side, knowing the storm was going to hit. And then it does. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Okay? That's why you saw the buckets up there, trying to get the water out of the boat. I mean, this storm was so bad. If you look into the Greek behind this, Great windstorm is a violent attack of wind, furious gusts, floods of rain, throwing everything completely topsy-turvy. So you've got the wind blowing, so the boat is rocking. You've got so much water coming into the boat from the waves that they feel the boat is going to go under. It's beginning to fill up. They truly believe they are in danger of drowning, of going into the sea. And I showed you the modern-day pictures. There was real danger happening here. As a matter of fact, when Matthew tells us the same account, here's what Matthew emphasizes in his gospel. He says that it was a great, the word for storm he uses is seismos. Does that look familiar to anybody? The study of earthquakes, seismology. It's the same root word. It means an actual quaking or shaking of everything, Matthew calls it. This was a great seismos. Matthew also says the waves veiled the boat. The word he uses in the Greek is they covered or they hid the boat. And I want to pause there for a second. Because we're not just talking about physical storms here, obviously. We're talking about a storm of the soul, right? A storm of the emotions. Something is going on in your heart and your whole world feels like it has been shaken. Anybody ever feel like your world's been shaken? Okay? I would encourage you, this is a side note, I don't have in the PowerPoint, but it just came to me. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 through 29. Hebrews 12 tells us that there is a day coming when everything created in the universe will be shaken. And the only thing that will remain is God and those who are properly related to him. And so the writer of Hebrews says, since you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, okay, we receive a kingdom that can't be shaken, even though your world feels like it is. Now that second part, 
That really touches me because here's what happens to us. Sometimes we let a storm cover our whole boat. Matthew says the waves veiled or hid the boat. Has anybody ever been so identified with the storm that you're in, so overwhelmed by it, that you felt the storm hid your entire life, took over your whole life? Have you been there? That thing is so in your head. That thing is so in your mind. That storm is so grinding at you. It's so shaking everything around you that you feel like the storm has now defined your boat. You can't see the boat anymore. All you can see is the waves, all right? We can get to that place where we feel the waves have veiled the boat. What is my life anymore? My life is now defined by my storm. I've been in seasons like that where I felt I was going to be crushed underneath because what was Shelley Prindle's life anymore but a storm is what it felt like. But I want to encourage you, and I didn't put this in the PowerPoint either, but if you're, if you're taking notes, Colossians chapter 3 is another place where the Bible talks about being hidden. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And Colossians 3 says this. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things above, not on, earth, not on earthly things. And then it goes on to say, For your life, okay? So Phyllis, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Let me say that phrase again. Phyllis's life is now hidden with Christ in God. So who was in the boat with the disciples when the waves seemed to take it over? Christ was in there. And it felt like the waves were all you could see and the boat kind of disappeared. But the Bible says we're not hidden in the storm. We're hidden with Christ in God. And then the Bible says there's a day coming when Christ is going to be revealed. So Colossians 3, 4 goes on to say, when Christ, who is your life, finally appears, you will appear with him in glory. So I want to say something about that. For now we face storms, but there is a day coming when my life, which is hidden with Christ in God, will finally be revealed. But that's only going to happen when Jesus is fully revealed. How many of you know Jesus is still hidden to some people? Does everybody call him Lord? No? When Jesus Christ's name is lifted up, does everybody say honor him for who he is? No, they deny the reality of it, don't they? But the Bible promises in Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 that there is a day coming when Christ who is your life will finally appear. Like, I mean, appear for who he is when every knee will bow, amen, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it also says that on that same day, Shelley Prindle will be revealed for who I am. You don't know me completely, do you? You think you know me. Some of you wish you didn't know me, but I'm telling you. But he, you, you, you don't, I don't know, you know, I don't really know the real depths of you or your beauty, your full beauty in Christ. I can't see that yet. Just like the world has not been exposed to the full beauty of Jesus yet. But it will be. But here's what I want to encourage you with. If you're sitting here tonight and it feels like your whole life has been covered by the storm, no, 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 no. Your life is hid with Christ in God. God defines your life. The storm does not. And that's important to remember. The waves do not cover your boat. God is in charge. Now, the next 
uh, verse says this, and this just kills me. Jesus is absolutely, isn't Jesus just like crazy good? I I love the things he says. I'm still thinking about what he said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. I preached that sermon again this morning somewhere. And I just love his his, uh, great answers that he gives to people. I love the things that he does. Because, I mean, Jessica and the kids, they did a great portrayal of that. How could they have all been going through that storm, right? Hearing the wind and the waves, water's coming in, buckets throwing water out, everybody's in disarray, everybody's screaming. How could Jesus be in the stern asleep on a cushion? Kind of like Taya. I, we went to the Rock and Worship Road show with the youth group. Does the youth group even know that she fell asleep for the last two songs? I want to tell you guys, there was some rapping and some uh, music that went, I guess it's called music. I know Steve liked it, you know, that was happening in there. And I mean, it shook the whole floor of the Peterson Event Center. I, I look over and there's Taya. I'm like, this is, this is an illustration. How could this, how could Jesus have been in the rocking, shaking, vibrating, rain coming down, wind, uh, uh, disciples in a panic? How could he have been asleep on the cushion? Anybody ever think about that? Wild stuff. I started pondering that. And the verse that came to mind, maybe came to your mind, is this one. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. How many of you know that God never sleeps? Amen? Here's one of the mysteries of the Trinity. You ready? Can't fit your brain. You ready for this? God never sleeps. (laughs) I know, everybody's so happy. Everybody's looking at what he's saying. But Jesus was asleep. That's beautiful. Okay, moving on. No, well, uh, let's explain it. Listen, this is a beautiful picture of how the Trinity works. God, the deity of Jesus, can never sleep. God never sleeps. He doesn't need rest. He doesn't have to sleep. But you remember, and if you're ever trying to talk to somebody about who Jesus is, how he is the God-man, here is like the perfect illustration. So the deity, Jesus is 100% God, 100% human. So the deity of Jesus can never sleep, you with me? But the humanity of Jesus was sleeping. Isn't that neat? He identifies with us. He was tired. He had had a long day. And it's so beautiful because he is remaining 100% God as he is 100% human. In his humanness is sleeping. His deity is not sleeping. All right? So he's identifying with us in one way but showing that he is still God. And here's what I want you to remember. It's kind of interesting because in a very physical and tangible way, Jesus is illustrating that in the storms of our life, Sometimes don't we feel like he's sleeping? Come on. Am I the only subpar Christian in the room? Huh? Does anybody ever feel like Jesus is sleeping when you're in a storm? Haven't you ever raised your fist and said, where are you? Like, what are you doing? You taking a nap or what's going on here? Do you know what's happening to me? Okay. We, it's time for us to get real with God. Deity never sleeps. So Jesus was not unnerved by this storm because he knows he's still in charge of the storm and he was able to rest. But I think that he purposely is asleep on the cushion because he's trying to work something out in the disciples' heart. Amen? 
That's what the storm is about. If you think living the Christian life is the happy, come to Jesus, your life is going to be prosperous and wonderful and happy and it's all going to be uphill from here. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Here's what happens. You come to Jesus and he is going to take you through the ringer. Left and right and up and down. You think this area was right and now that's going through it and this area. Listen, it's all about him bringing you closer to himself. He's asleep, all right? I'm going to bring up a quote. You guys know, is everybody aware that not too long ago, just a few weeks back, ISIS beheaded 21 Coptic Christians on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea, right? I find this interesting, because did you see how close the Sea of Galilee is to the Mediterranean Sea? And they purposely beheaded them there so that their blood would drain into the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, they made that kind of statement. The Coptic Orthodox Church, after the beheading happened, was sending out their condolences to the families. And I love this line of the church's statement. Here's what they said. We believe the blood of those victims is crying before the righteous judge who does not forget or sleep and will reward each one according to his deeds. Amen? Listen, God was not asleep when their heads got sawed off, was he? He was not asleep. And I find it so interesting that they made that statement. When we think about the storm on the Sea of Galilee, we look how close those bodies of water are and just what is happening over there in the end times and how we can go to the Bible for comfort and for help. Amen? Because just like Jesus was not asleep in the ship, on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, God was not asleep when those Coptic Christians lost their lives. And he is not asleep as you go through your storm. Amen? He is wide awake, fully aware of what is happening. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Okay? Now, I like how the youth group did this because we sugarcoat the Bible. I like to make it so real. You know what I mean? These people were people, and they have the same characters like we do today. So I can imagine that as their lives were in danger and the storm was rolling, this is not what Petey did. He didn't go up to Jesus and say, excuse me, excuse me, Jesus, Um, I need some help. I don't think that's what he did. I think the youth group had it right. And that was their interpretation, by the way. I didn't tell them to do it. I think they had it right. I think that they ran wildly and crazily and out of control, pulling at their hair, screaming and yelling. That's okay to do, amen? I think Pastor referred to this in his sermon about that. That's okay to do. God wants you to do that. Jesus was not mad that they did that, you know? I mean, I believe they were, Teacher, don't you care what's going on here? And I have vision there shaking them around and, like, what is going on, okay? Here's the deal, and I love this. When the storm hit, I want you to think of what they didn't do. Ready? They didn't grab hold of the oars, and try to steady the boat themselves. That was a lost cause, right? 
They didn't, that we know of, when it's not recorded, that they grabbed onto each other and said, let's try to save each other's lives. Right? They didn't jump out of the ship either and say, well, this whole thing's hopeless. I'm just going in now. And we laugh because it's us. I want you to think about your storm that you're heading into, that you're in the middle of, that you're coming out of, that you're going to go through next month. I want you to think of something. So many times I, as a Christian, here's my tendency. I'm a self-starter. I'm a type A personality. So one of my first attempts is I'll grab the oars and the buckets and I'll try to steady this thing out myself. Doesn't work. I should have run to Jesus in a frantic panic. Right? Amen? Okay? I don't know about you, but another tendency that I have is I like to run to people because they're tangible and I can see them and they can give me hugs and feel sorry for me. So let me run to them and say, can you help me? Let's, let's just hug. Let's just get this off. And there's nothing wrong with having friends, but you can't depend on people. Amen? That's not the approach. That's not what they did. And thirdly, and let me just say this because you never know in a crowd of people who's in what emotional state. Don't jump out of the ship. Don't take your life. Don't harm yourself. Don't give up hope. Amen? Jesus is in the stern of the ship. He's in the back of the ship asleep on a cushion. So instead of faulting these disciples for getting so frantic and asking him if he cared, I would like to praise them and say thank you for showing us what to do. Amen? They could have done a lot of other things, but in a panic, they decided to flee to Jesus who was already in the boat. And I want to say something to you right now. You may not feel like he's there. You may hear the snoring sounds, but you flee to Jesus who is already in your ship. Amen? They said, do you not care that we are perishing? It's an interesting statement. And I had never connected it to this particular verse before. What is the most famous verse in the Bible that people quote? Anybody? John 3.16. Ready? This is the most famously quoted verse, one that every Christian knows, and how many of you believe in it? Yeah. Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not say it perish but have eternal life how many of you believe that this is very convicting to me very convicting to me listen if i asked you to raise your hands and said how many of you believe that jesus is powerful enough and loving enough and is sacrificial enough that he is the reason your eternal soul will escape eternal damnation and be promoted to heaven because of jesus um, everybody would go like this right okay So you believe that he has the power to take your rotten, selfish, damned soul and take it out of eternal damnation and promote it to eternal righteousness because of him? But you don't believe he can help you with your storm right now? That's convicting to me. You understand? They said, don't you care that we are perishing? Listen, this is the Jesus of John 3.16. And this is one thing that I've, that I've always tried to talk to people about uh, in the whole hyper-faith movement. You know, I've had so many people pray over me for healing from my diabetes. And I actually had a man pray over me one time. And when I didn't get healed from my diabetes, upon him praying for me, he started to cry. His faith fell apart. 
well, if Jesus won't heal you of this disease, then I must not have enough faith. You know what I looked at him and I said? I said, look, I have enough faith to believe that my stinking, rotten, selfish, sinful heart has been made right by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is a way bigger miracle than my pancreas starts kicking in again. If I have enough faith to believe in that, my lack of healing is not because of my lack of faith. Amen? It's because God is doing something else through it. Amen? So let's get this thing square. When they go to him and say, do you not care? They should do what we should do and ask ourselves the question. If he cares enough to save your perishing eternal soul, he surely cares about what you're going through in this life. Amen? All right? So do you not care that we are perishing? Now here's the kicker. This is the part that, this is the part that I believe the Holy Spirit's really gonna hone in on for us. When they went to him and they called upon him, they called him teacher. What does anybody think about that? It's very, it's a very sad statement, but it's where a lot of us are. And I'm going to come back to it in a few minutes, but I want you to let that sink in. When they shook him, when they called to him, the title they used was teacher. And he awoke after they called him teacher. They called out to him terrified. He awoke, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, I want you to picture this. Just picture it in your mind. He did two things. He rebuked the wind, so he said something to the wind. He told the wind to stop, because really the storm originated with the wind, right? The swirling wind, the cold and warm front, and that produced the whole storm. So he rebuked the wind, and then he said to the sea, to the waves, peace be still, and everything ceased. Now this is wild stuff, do you understand? Like very wild, if you think about it. He's like controlling the hydrogen and oxygen atoms in the universe at that point. He's telling them what to do. But the part that gets me is when he rebukes the wind. How mysterious is the wind? John even, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John 3, he used the wind as an example. He said, the wind blows where it wants. It comes, you don't know where it came from, you don't know where it's going, there's nothing you can really do about it. And that's how the Holy Spirit works to save a person. He just sweeps in. I mean, I find this happens in youth group all the time. I'll plan for the Holy Spirit to sweep in. I'll be like, oh, this is a good lesson. The Holy Spirit's going to sweep in on this one, baby. Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> you know, and I go home and I start crying. <laughs> I'm the worst youth leader in the whole universe. Uh, this really happens to me. I'm very hard on myself. And then some nights I'll be like, let's just do it. You know, but we go, we, I'm prayerful, we go, and the next thing you know, all of a sudden, whoosh, the Holy Spirit, have you experienced it? You guys are new leaders. The Holy Spirit just sweeps in. Whoa, what just happened there? You know, you can't control the Holy Spirit. You can't tell him when to do something and when not to. Can you? The wind is ferocious and wild. So here's what I want you to imagine. Of all things, Jesus reaches out, I mean, I know not literally, but he reaches out and he harnesses the wind. What? How do you grab hold of the wind and tell it what to do? You only do that if you're God. Amen? Because when you're going through a storm, it feels like the wind of that storm just goes through. Don't you feel like every hair on your head is being blown by the storm? 
It's just sweeping through every fiber of your being. Jesus harnesses that wind and those waves. He tells it to calm down. Psalm 148 tells us this. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist. Listen to these five words. You ready? I'm going to slow it down. I'm going to read these five words. Stormy wind fulfilling his word. Now I have a tough question for you. Not only did Jesus sail them onto the sea when he knew the storm was coming. You ready for this? Don't shoot me. He's the one who started the storm. And all God's people said, Amen. Listen. Fire, hail, snow, mist, stormy wind, all the weather patterns fulfill the word of God. If it happened, he allowed it to happen, right? God is sovereign over the enemy, and God uses everything the enemy wants to do for his own plan. And just as surely as the weather was up to Jesus in the first place, now he's going to pull it back in. Because you know what it did? It accomplished his purpose. Ah, this is beautiful. He put them out on it, and when it had accomplished his purpose, he pulled it back. Isn't that beautiful? And I think of my own life, I mean, one of the greatest storms, there's many storms that I've faced. One of my greatest storms is my struggle with my health, my illness. It is a battle that unless you were really close to me, you couldn't even understand how bad it is. It is a tough, tough battle. It affects everything. And I just trust God and I say, okay, when the day comes that you pull that back in, then the purpose will have been accomplished. And that might not be till heaven because I'm a stubborn bugger. Okay, but that's okay. God brings you into it. He pulls it back when it's time. It fulfills his word. Now, here's the, here's the, the biblical basis for that. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the water. God created the wind. God created the clouds. He created the weather. But here's another key. Colossians 1.17 says, he currently holds all things together. So here's the deal. I've used this illustration before. If you touch your wrist or your neck and you feel a pulse and your heart is beating, two things are going on. Number one, God made your body and he made your heart, right? Number two, he continues to cause it to beat. And when Jesus says it's time for your heart not to beat anymore, guess what? There ain't a doctor in the universe who's going to get you back to life. Time is over. And if it's not your time to go, there isn't an illness that's going to stop it, right? I mean, he'll keep you alive. He holds it all together. Same thing with the wind and the waves and the storms and the circumstances of life. Jesus is the creator. The creator is also the sustainer. The creator and the sustainer both are Jesus. A lot of people don't realize Jesus is the active agent in the creation of the universe. John 1, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1. The whole trinity, all three persons of the Godhead were there. Jesus, the the active agent in the creation of the universe. And I like to say it this way. Jesus created you, Carolyn, so that's why he came to redeem you, and that's why he's coming back to get you. Because he paid for you. Because he made you. Doesn't that make sense? I love it. It's Jesus. He is the one. So the same one who made the wind and the waves and the sea is the one in control of them. 
Now, here's what he looks at them and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He asks them a rhetorical question, tries to get them to think about what's going on. But what is most interesting to me, when he talks about the fear they had of the storm, he uses a pretty light Greek word that simply means fearful or timid. Right? Now listen. When he's talking about how afraid they were of dying on the Sea of Galilee, he uses a word that means fearful or timid. He says, why are you still so fearful? Hey, they seemed more than a little fearful to me. Right? You know how bad those storms can get. Here is the kicker. After he says, why were you so fearful of the storm? They were filled with what? Great fear. Now listen. The storm was over. Very mysterious. Did anybody ever catch this before? The storm was over. Everything had calmed. And now what was fear has turned into what? Great fear. Wake up, Petey and Johnny and Philip and all you guys. The storm's over. What are you afraid of now? The thing they should have been afraid of in the first place. This is the crux of the whole message right here. The word that Jesus uses here for great fear is megas. Everybody knows what mega means, right? Megas phobeo. And it means to actually put to flight by terrifying. It is so much stronger than the word that he used for why were you afraid of the storm. This is megas phobeo. It's like they were filled with, a, with an awe that they, it would put you to flight. It would terrify you. The fear that now gripped their hearts. The reverence that now came over them. And the question is, the storm's over. What was going to kill you is now over. Why are you more afraid now than you were when the storm was happening? That was the whole point of the storm. Listen. God will shake you and wreck you and shake you again and wreck you again and rattle you again and mess with you again and He will not stop until He is the only thing you fear. You with me? And the whole point was Him to get them to see I'm greater, I'm bigger, I'm the one thing that you should be concerned about. Because I'm going to tell you something. When Shelly Prindle puts the fear of her diabetes in front of God, I get myself in big trouble. Amen? When you put your fear of your storm, your battle, the thing that you're facing in front of God, you're going to get yourself in big trouble. Jesus will sail you out onto a storm until you come to the place where you realize, wait a second, I was afraid of the wind and waves. There's somebody who tells the wind and waves what to do. And then you should be like this. He's the one I should be standing in awe of. Now, wait a second. If I feared him the way I should, the wind and waves wouldn't bother me the way they do. Amen? I do a huge seminar. I did it years ago. I haven't done it for a couple of years. called Anxiety Undone. And the key statement from that seminar, and it's biblical, is this. Ready? Integrate your heart to fear only one. And the rest of your fears 
will disintegrate. Amen? How many think I'm crazy up here? That's okay. Yeah, Lexi, I know. I am, but for the different reason. Okay, now watch this. This is the fear they had. They stepped back and they said, who is this? That the wind and the waves obey him. Now, if you, if you, listen, I am telling you, and I'm going to let scripture interpret scripture. God will let you go through a storm till you realize he is the one you should have been fearing all along. What he's doing by taking you through the storm is showing you what is too big to you. It means too much to you. Should your family mean more to you than God? Should the American dream, your house and your white picket fence, mean more to you than God? Should your health mean more to you than God? Should your life mean more to you than God? And so if your health means more to you than God, and God comes and shakes up your health, what's he trying to say? Get your eyes on me. Get your eyes back on me. Right? Amen? And I'll take you to a peaceful place. And so if your hope is in your family or in your relationships and God comes and takes all those away, what's he trying to say? Put your eyes back on me. And if you think your finances are in order and all of a sudden he comes and shakes everything away, what's he trying to say? Put your eyes back on me and the peace. Are you with me? You say, Shelly, that doesn't sound real fun. Well, the end result is awesome. The end result is wonderful. When you can step back and say, I fear him more than anything. That is why 21 Christian men could lay their head on the beach of the Mediterranean Sea and have it sawed off for the name of Jesus. Because you know who they feared more than their own death? They feared God. Are you with me? Watch this. Jesus said this. A lot of people get confused by this verse. They don't know who the who is in each of the, each parts here. But watch what Jesus said. When he sent his disciples out and he knew they were going to be martyred for their faith, he knew it. Everybody but John would suffer a martyr's death and John would get it pretty bad anyway. He looked at them and he said, when you go out there, do not fear. Look at that. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Who's that refer to? The devil and everyone driven by the devil that could damage your body. And they do. We watch ISIS doing that. We watch people all over the world being persecuted. We watched it happen. In he said, do not. Now look at the word. Do not fear those who kill the body that cannot kill the soul. He said, rather. This is interesting. He didn't say wipe all fear out of your life, did he? Did he? No. He said, don't fear them. Rather, you better fear him. Are you with me? There is a lack of fear in the church of Jesus Christ today. There is a lack of reverence for God Almighty. And when he sends you through a storm, he's getting you back to a place where you begin to reverence. He is in control. And he said, you better. He didn't say, I'm going to take all fear out of your life. He said, I'm taking the wrong kind of fear, the scary kind of biting your nails, ooh, kind of fear, and I'm going to replace it with this kind of fear. I'm awe. That's what awe means. That's why I don't encourage our youth group or people that I know to use the word awesome about anything else but God. Amen? He is truly 
awesome. He said, you should fear him who can destroy both your soul and your body in hell. And that's where it's at. Here's what I want to tell you. If God has to take every material thing you have away from you, if he has to wreck your health, if he has to take your relationships away, whatever he has to do, he needs your soul. You with me? And if your stuff is keeping your soul from God, let him take your stuff. If your relationships that you're involved in are keeping your soul from God, let him take them away. Amen? Anything that is separating you, because he said you should have a fear, but it's not like walking around every storm you go through, like, <laughs> you know, a fear like an anxiety. He never uses the word anxiety when he talks about fearing God. He talks about like this awe, like, man, there is nothing bigger. There is nothing more important than God. And my, a fear that says, I want my heart right with him no matter what it takes. Amen? No matter what it takes. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And let's answer the question for them. Okay, they were asking a rhetorical question. They stepped back, they said, who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. You know what we could say back to them? Hey guys, this is God with you. Remember what they called him when the storm was going on? What did they call him? Here's the telling point. They called him teacher. <laughs> teacher. You know, I'm thinking I'm thinking back to like my calculus teacher in high school. Hey teacher, help me. Teacher. Teacher? Yeah, Jesus is your teacher, but if he's only your teacher, you're in big, big trouble. They were only thinking of him in small terms. He wanted to blow their minds. Do you get that? It's funny. They didn't step back and say, teacher, look what you did. They replaced the title teacher with what? Who is this? And we answer the question, God was asleep on the cushion. That's God right there. He's in your boat. It's not just Jesus. It's not just God. He's God with you. Right? All right? He's in your boat, Charlie. He's in your boat, LaRue. Right? He's in your boat, Marcel. He's in your boat, Deborah. He's in there. God's in there. That's God in your ship with you. That's why when the angel came, he said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Quit calling him just a teacher, just a prophet, just some moral. That's why so many times I, 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 I get a little wary of how we refer to the Bible and just calling it like a, a good book to guide our lives. Or Wait a second! This is the living Word of God. Amen? Jesus is not a good moral teacher. Jesus is God Almighty in the flesh, in the boat with you. And it's time to wake up and say, He is the one that I fear. Oh, I'm going to end this with this awesome quote from Charles Spurgeon. Anybody love Charles Spurgeon? You want to read some good books? You have to sort through some wild English. Okay? That's good for the brain. Two things you can do good for the brain. Read Charles Spurgeon, Matthew Henry, three things. 
or this is what I do. My mom laughs at me to this day. I'm right-handed. Well, I bat left-handed and golf left-handed. But I'm right-handed, and I do all crossword puzzles with my left hand just to keep my other side of my brain going. Okay, there's some tips. Charles Spurgeon, Matthew Henry, crossword puzzles with your left hand. Charles Spurgeon, this is an awesome quote. How many of you know that God can be referred to as the Rock of Ages? Anybody ever heard that song? Rock of Ages. Why is he called the Rock of Ages? Because he's the rock, all right, of ages. He's the rock how long? Forever. He's the rock of ages. Rock, I can't sing. Anybody want to burst out into rock of ages? Class? Yeah, I was going to start, and then I'm like, this is recording. Nope. No, nope. I would never get asked to go anywhere again. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Right? You know that beautiful song? Okay. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. Tell me if this is not the crux of this message. Watch this. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me up against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss that nasty wave that threw me up against the rock of ages and made me know there's nowhere else to go but him. Amen? I've had, I, I've had people ask me so many questions about healing and about faith and about living for God. And I've said to them, you know what? God can heal me any day. I would love it. I would really love it. But I have learned to kiss the disease that makes me depend on Jesus Christ every minute that I live. That's the wave he used. He's used so many waves in my life, financial waves. Listen, what is your wave? I want you to just take a minute. Just, just bow your head a little bit or close your eyes. Just, just to ponder for just a second. I want you to think about this. Jesus sailed them out on the sea. He was doing something. He wanted to change their thought of him from teacher, helper, good prophet, somebody who can, you know, do me some good in my life. He wanted to shatter that image and say, hey, guys, I'm God. And the fear that you need to have for me is greater than the fear of anything else you should have. And I want you just for a minute to ponder in your own heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. I'm sure there's a couple prominent ones sitting right out there that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind. What is the wave And maybe you didn't understand why it came, but after coming here tonight, you kind of get a feel for what God is doing. What is the wave that, like Charles Spurgeon, you will learn to kiss that wave that has forced you to be thrown upon the rock of ages? There is no safer place to be than in fear, reverent Fear of God. Lord, we just ask you right now, in the name of Jesus, please minister to our hearts. Your word has been presented. You are faithful to your word. 
We know it will accomplish the very thing that you have intended it to accomplish, and that will be one of two things. And, and I want everybody to know this. When the Word of God is faithfully presented, one of two things will happen. You will respond and soften your heart to what God has said, or you will rebel and harden your heart. There's no neutral territory. So please allow God's Holy Spirit to work in your heart with healing and with an understanding of the fear we ought to have of Him. He sailed you into that storm for your good. He never intended you to die in that storm. What he intended to happen is for you to call out to him and say, Jesus, help me. Help me see what you want me to see. Help me to understand what you want me to understand. Change my heart. And he will faithfully do that. 